0: If you happen to frequent London's Hyde Park in 1881, you may have seen the children of Mr. and Mrs. Lewis Barnard with their beloved Maltese, Cherry. During their visits, the children befriended the park's gatekeeper, Mr. Winbridge, who found occasion to sell them ginger beer and lollipops. Time went by like it always did. When Cherry died, the family approached the kindly gatekeeper to ask a favor. They asked if they could lay Cherry to rest in the back garden of Victoria Lodge near the park's north end. Permission was granted. A stone was erected reading, Poor Cherry died April 28, 1881. Word reached the Duke of Cambridge whose beloved Yorkshire Terrier had died beneath a carriage wheel. A similar burial was arranged. Well-to-do Londoners followed suit. 300 dogs were laid to rest in the tiny patch of Hyde Park until the cemetery closed in 1903. The stones endured, their heartfelt farewells etched in marble.
1: Dear Impey, loving and love.
0: Alas, poor Zoe.
1: Darling Dolly, my sunbeam, my consolation, my joy.
0: Now, London was well divided. Some got it, some didn't. Years after, the cemetery was declared perhaps the most horrible spectacle in Britain by one Eric Blair, who operated under the pen name George Orwell. While it wasn't the world's first cemetery for dogs, it marked a new era, where the canine-human bond became familial, and where dogs were loved and mourned as family members. I'm Bud Bacombe. Come with me as we explore a weighty subject of humans finding ways to say goodbye to a beloved canine and the vast spectrum of ways people react to it. For those who feel its weight more than others, no hard feelings if you want to find a bench and sit this one out. It's a place where genuine, gut-wrenching life events mesh with bizarro world tabloid stories and the significant share of America's $120 billion pet industry dedicated to pet loss. Yes, Virginia, there really are estate planners for dogs. There have been dogs
2: as long as there have been people. This dog was going places. Fast. The American Kennel Club. Kennel Club. Kennel Club. Kennel Club. Kennel Club.
1: Take your dog down and back for me, please. Down and back. Stories from the AKC archives.
2: This is the show for you.
1: With Bud Bacon.
2: <coughs> this puppy has potential.
0: Whether it's the even-tempered affection of the Drever, the cuddly charm of the Pumi, the affection and bravery of the Lauchan, or the agility and intelligence of the Borble, dogs have a genius for ensconcing themselves deep in the human heart. It's no wonder, then, that despite the Eric Blairs of the world, the business of memorializing a beloved dog continues to thrive. Here, for instance at the Hartsdale Pet Cemetery, 20-some miles north of Midtown Manhattan. Originally the Hartsdale Canine Cemetery, it was founded in 1886 during the heyday of its Hyde Park counterpart. In the waning years of the 19th century, Emily Berthet accomplished Equestrian as liberated a woman as that century could manage collaborated with prominent veterinarian Samuel Johnson. Recognizing the desire for those of means to provide a dignified resting place for canine family members, Ms. Berthet provided five hillside acres for what came to be nicknamed the Peaceable Kingdom. Today, it's a special place, dubbed by Lonely Planet as one of the world's top burial grounds on a list that includes the Taj Mahal and the pyramids of Giza, it has become the final home to tens of thousands of dogs. In this age of inclusion, it has also accommodated pet cats, rabbits, birds, reptiles, monkeys, a lion cub, and a Bengal tiger. Yeah, long story. As is the story of pet cemeteries themselves, consider the strange discovery in the summer of 1987 at Ashkelon, some 30 miles south of Tel Aviv. In a dig led by Harvard archaeologist Lawrence Steger, a team sought clues to a series of civilizations who dwelled here from about 1800 B.C., and for the 3,000 years following. The first bones led the team to believe they'd simply found discarded animal remains, until they found more, then more still. Soon they had discovered 30 skeletons of dogs, all the same breed, dating from the 5th to the 3rd century BC. Archaeology has shown that the prick-eared, curly-tailed Cana dog had existed in the area for millennia, Each dog was carefully buried on its side, with its tail wound around its hindquarters, the tail's tip pointing down. By the end of the first summer, 120 dog graves were found within 50 square yards. Through the years, the number would swell to 1,300. Evidence shows they were buried individually and at different times, all this on prime seafront property. An early theory was there was a major kennel, and though many of the dogs were puppies, all seemed to have died natural deaths. It has been suggested that the dogs were revered as sacred animals and were allotted a special patch of land as their own cemetery. Is this the product of grieving humans, or of appeasing a deity, or something else? We've decided to leave our engineer, Josh, on-site here night and day until the mystery is solved. Wait, I'm sorry, what? The rest of you come with me. Our next stop is across the Mediterranean. This is Ancient Greece. Though it was the cradle of civilization, things weren't all Ouzo and Skittles. Certainly not at least for a fellow named Icarius. It was Acarius who was trained in the craft of winemaking by the god Dionysus, a gift he shared with his fellow Greeks. A group of local shepherds who hadn't quite gotten with the program thought Ikarius was trying to poison them, so they chased him down and stoned him to death. Enter his daughter, Origini, and his faithful hound, Mera. Uh, Side note, it's a good guess that Mera was a guardian breed, perhaps an ancestor of the Cane Corso. Devastated to find the body of Icarius, Erygene hanged herself from a tree, and Mera threw himself down a well. When Dionysus caught wind of all this, he gave the perpetrators a whooping and commended the three fallen friends to the heavens, each as a constellation. Icarius became... Buotis, the herdsman. Origini is immortalized as Virgo, and Mera became Canis Major, a lasting monument to ancient Greek pet loss, visible in the Northern Hemisphere each December through March. Okay, we know that humans mourn the loss of a canine, but is the reverse true? Meet you in the archives. While no one is saying that canines experience grief in the same way as you or me, there's plenty of evidence that they do experience loss when their humans die. Barbara J. King, author of How Animals Grieve, suggests that canines show their distress through behavior that diverges sharply from their routine. Some grief indicators might include a loss of appetite, weight loss, lack of energy, listlessness or clinginess, and a loss of interest in physical activity. Stories of canines in mourning abound. In June 2014, Canadian police dog handler Constable Dave Ross lost his life in the line of duty. Throughout his funeral, his partner and friend Danny, a German shepherd dog, stood by his master's casket, quietly whimpering. In Japan, an Akita named Hachiko is a legend nearly a century after his birth. By the age of two, he would accompany his master, an agriculture professor at Tokyo University, to the Shibuya train station. In the afternoon, Hachiko would be there waiting when his master returned. Soon after his master suffered a cerebral hemorrhage and died while at work, Hachiko moved in with the family of a gardener. Still. Each morning, Hachiko would walk to the train station and sit outside for hours, awaiting the return of his owner. Once newspapers had picked up the story, visitors would greet Hachiko in his daily vigil, giving him a pat and maybe a treat. Hachiko would live to see a statue erected in his honor near the station entrance. One day, he lay down and died not far from that spot after ten years of waiting, in vain, for his master's return. Though the familiar trappings of pet loss, memorials and markers, plaques and celebrations, are relatively modern, more on that in a moment, there are exceptions. In England's Newstead Abbey, the estate of Gordon George Byron, that's Lord Byron to you and me, stands a monument to his beloved Newfoundland dog, Boson. When Boson had contracted rabies, it's said that the poet stood fearlessly by, nursing him, never fearing infection. On a monument larger than the one for Byron himself, the grieving owner did what poets do. He wrote an ode to his lost friend. Ye who behold perchance
2: this simple urn, pass on, it honors none you wish to mourn. To mark a friend's remains these stones arise, I never knew but one, and here he
0: lies. So universal is pet loss that I'll bet you a nickel, it's the only straight line you can draw from Lord Byron to John Wick. I lost everything, that dog was a final gift from my dying wife. They threatened him. They clobbered him. But it was only when the bad guys messed with his pet beagle, Daisy, that John Wick was coaxed out of retirement. People keep asking if I'm back. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Films involving canine loss are about as old as the medium. Generations have shed tears growing up with old Yeller and Sounder, And it's not just the... Hello? Right. And Marley and me. And it's not just the... Hello? Sure. And I am legend. And Red Dog. And Where the Red Fern Grows. And it's not just the... All right, all right. Lots of titles. I get it. Popular music, which we won't share here because of, you know... Royalties has long since embraced canine loss as an emotional hook from Elvis's Old Shep to Shannon by Henry Gross and many, many others. Visit any bookstore and you'll find but a few of the countless titles dealing with the mourning of a canine. Saunter over to the fiction area. And you'll find truckloads of stories of dogs beloved and lost. And for how long has pet loss been a big deal? Writing in the Smithsonian, Raka Aridi links the advent of pet cemeteries in the 19th century, in the UK and North America at least, to a growing tendency to identify dogs as members of the family. Advances in veterinary medicine such as inoculations and flea treatments were small steps in pet care, but a giant leap towards welcoming dogs inside the home. From the shed to the bed, let the bonding begin. Uh, Hey, we should check in on Josh. Uh, Find anything new in Ashkelon, Josh? Uh, No, not not anything yet, but uh, could I trouble you for some shackle repellent? We'll check in with Josh later.
1: You're listening to Down and Back, stories from the AKC archives.
0: If the creation of dog cemeteries was a symptom of that shift in the human-dog relationship, it was a celebrated court case that helped codify it. On the docket, It was Burden v. Hornsby. To generations of Americans, it's remembered as the story of Old Drum. A story still told around campfires on lazy summer nights at AKC headquarters in midtown Manhattan. It begins in Missouri, one October evening in 1869, when a shot rang out. Old Drum A favorite black-and-tan coon hound belonging to Charles Burton was dead. The culprit was Burton's neighbor and brother-in-law, Leonidas Hornsby, whose sheep had been falling prey to dogs. Hornsby vowed revenge on the first dog he saw, and it happened to be Old Drum. Burton brought a hundred-dollar lawsuit against his brother-in-law in a case that went to trial three times. It was at the third trial that Burden's lawyer, George Graham Vest, delivered a closing argument regarded today as an American dog war classic. The speech popularized the phrase man's best friend, flawlessly articulated the emotion of canine loss, give or take a gender pronoun, and legally entrenched the dog as part of the family. The story and the speech were immortalized in an episode of Death Valley Days, first aired on Christmas Eve, 1964. Vest's role was played by the show's host, Ronald Reagan, who recited the famous speech verbatim, said Vest. The best friend a man has in the world may turn against him and become his enemy. His son it's or daughter, or daughter that
2: he, he reared with, with loving, loving care, care may prove ungrateful. Those nearest and dearest to us, those whom we trust with our happiness and our own good names, may become traitors to their faith. The money a man has, he he may lose. It flees away from him, perhaps when he needs it most. His reputation is sacrificed in a moment of ill-considered action. Those people who are prone to fall on their knees to do us honor when success is with us, may be the first to throw the stone of malice when failure settles its clouds upon our heads. The one absolutely unselfish friend a man can have in this selfish world, the one who never deserts him, the one who never proves ungrateful or treacherous, is his dog. A man's dog will stand by him in prosperity and in poverty in health and in sickness. He'll sleep on the cold ground where wintry winds blow and the snow drives fiercely. If only he can be near his master's side. He'll kiss the hand that has no food to offer. He'll lick the wounds and sores that come in encounter with the roughness of the world. He guards the sleep of his pauper master as if he were a prince. When all other friends desert him, he remains. When riches take wings and reputation falls apart, his love is as constant as the sun in its journey through the heavens. If fortune drives his master forth into the world an outcast, friendless, homeless, the faithful dog asks no higher privilege than that of accompanying him to guard against danger, to fight against his enemies. And when the last scene of all comes, When death takes the master in its arms, when his body is laid away in the cold ground, no matter if all other friends pursue their way, there by his graveside, the noble dog will be found. Head between his paws, his eyes sad but open, in alert watchfulness, faithful and true, even to death. Allergies. (laughs)
0: More than a century later, in a San Francisco courtroom, another case involving canine loss, this one much stranger, would further define the place of dogs within the human family. Soon after Mary Murphy took her own life in 1979, it was disclosed that she'd left $200,000 to the charity Pets Unlimited. But another clause in her will ordered that her collie cross, Sido, be destroyed immediately. Her executor explained that Murphy feared that no one could take the right care of her dog. The San Francisco SPCA, who was now caring for the dog, refused the order and went to court. As that went on, state senators were lobbied and legislation was passed negating Murphy's request. The next day, a superior court judge ruled, possibly with the words of George Graham Vest flowing gently in his mind, that the right to dispose of property after death does not extend to a dog or to any living creature. Dogs are more than mere property. They're special. The law says so. Of course, dogs as beneficiaries and wills is a whole other thing. In the summer of 2014, a New York canine made the news. She was Sophie, a Papillon, and a resident of the Dakota, thank you for asking. Perhaps neighbors had been used to the sight of her favorite human whistling for her. Hard not to notice when that human was Lauren Bacall. You know how to whistle, don't
2: you, Steve? You just put your lips together and
0: blow. That summer, the legendary screen star died. In her will, she had practiced a kind of canine loss in reverse, the now familiar, even common practice of providing a bequest for a favorite dog. While much of her $26 million estate was left to family, she carved out $10,000 for Sophie's continued care in the home of Ms. Bacall's son, actor Sam Robarts. Weeks after Sophie lost her favorite human, Joan Rivers died unexpectedly in a New York hospital. At the time, Rivers had four dogs, a Havanese, a Parson Russell Terrier, a Border Collie, and a Japanese chin named Teagan. It's reported that a substantial chunk of her $150 million estate would go to their continued care. And a few years earlier, in 2008, an Australian magazine reported that Oprah Winfrey planned to leave $30 million to her dogs, whose cast of characters has almost certainly changed by today. Sometimes a celebrity dog bequest story bypasses traditional press and makes a beeline for the tabloids or rabbit hole if you're internet inclined. Rarely more so than in the case of Leona Helmsley and her Maltese named Trouble. Helmsley, the billionaire businessperson dubbed the Queen of Mean, was the poster child for 80s excess. With her death in 2007 came reports that her will, which excluded two of her grandsons, included a $12 million bequest to her Maltese, who, through no fault of her own, reaped much of the public disdain directed at Helmsley herself. Enough so that the dog traveled under an assumed name. Oh, a quick point of order... Strictly speaking, a dog cannot inherit money, though a trust can be established to care for the dog. A judge would later reduce the dog's trust to $2 million. The Maltese would survive Miss Helmsley for four years. Leona Helmsley wasn't right, but neither was she wrong. Neither was John Wick, of those long-forgotten authors of epitaphs in Hyde Park and Hartsdale. Canine loss is a thing, and everyone mourns it a little differently, each bound by a grief so profoundly expressed by Byron, George Graham Vest, Eugene O'Neill in his brilliant last will and testament to an extremely loved dog, and to Rudyard Kipling, who spoke for millions of people when he wrote... Nevertheless, it is hardly fair to risk your heart for a dog to tear. If you're grieving the loss of a pet, you are not alone. Consider joining our AKC Pet Loss Support Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash AKC Pet Loss Support. If you or someone you know is in a crisis, please contact the toll-free National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK (8255) or chat with them online at www.suicidepreventionlifeline.org/chat.
1: Down and back. Stories from the AKC archives. Visit akc.org for more on all things dog and find bonus materials for this episode. Follow AKC on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at American Kennel Club. On Twitter at AKC dog Lovers, And let us know what you thought of the show. Psst. And let us know what you thought of the show. If you're new around here, subscribe with your favorite podcast provider to catch up on this season and past episodes. Founded in 1884, the American Kennel Club is the recognized and trusted expert in breeds, health, and training. We advocate for responsible dog ownership and are dedicated to advancing dog sports. Research for Down and Back is provided by the AKC Library and Archives the only national repository dedicated to the sport and enjoyment of the purebred dog. Learn more about the collections at akc.org slash library. <sighs> There's always a wise guy.
0: Uh, hello? Bud? Anybody? Help?